Welcome to the Recycler podcast. Uh, this edition is kindly sponsored by Static Control, and I'm joined today by our resident guest, Lightwoods Senior Analyst, Peter Mayhew. Good afternoon, Peter. How are you? I am just fine, David. So what's on the agenda today? Well, we have an interesting uh, podcast today, as they always are. We do have a couple of HP stories to share with you today. Some are positive, some are perhaps not quite so positive, but we have some HP stories to share. We've got a couple of little interesting stories about businesses that are growing, especially around the brands that they are taking on. And then we're going to finish up uh, talking about taxes and about VAT in the EU. So, yeah, quite an interesting little uh, diverse mix of topics today. Okay, well, so I guess first up is uh, our our friends Hewlett-Packard. And and we don't set out to find stories about Hewlett-Packard. They they just come in. And I guess if listeners want to know how we prioritise the stories, we just literally run a report off of the website to find the most popular stories. And then, you know, and we try and tease out the interesting bits out of those stories. So it's not a plan. It's a gift. <laughs> yes, it certainly is, David. And yeah. um, it's the gift that keeps on giving, I'm afraid. They do indeed. Long may it continue. OK, so HP. Yes, I guess we should probably start off on the perhaps not quite so positive note, which is the um, the Printergate story. This is the story of um, the uh, European group called Euro Consumers, who have launched an action against HP. Am I correct there, David? Yes, um, they have launched an action against HP. They're seeking uh, 150, 180 euros of damages uh, on behalf of consumers uh, in Italy, Spain, uh, Portugal, Brazil, uh, and Belgium. This is on the back of Italian competition authorities finding HP 10 million euros and uh, HP's recent settlement in the US uh, over similar agreements and their agreement to compensate each person. uh, I think it's about $150. So, yes, HP are getting bogged down in the complaints about their firmware and how it locks out third party cartridges. I think what's interesting about this story, and first of all, I want to put my hand up if I may. I do want to claim a little bit of an interest here. Okay. In the, in the interest of openness, I had a printer that was affected in just this way, and if they were, if there was a UK group that was joining this action, then I would be putting my name on it there to get my 150 whatever they are, whether it's going to be euros, dollars, or pounds, or whatever. You know. So please, if you if you do that in the UK. Let me know because I want to. I want to put a claim in there too because I was affected and my printer didn't work afterwards, and I'm afraid that it had to go to the Great Recycling Centre in the sky. Um, as a result, and so that's I'm a claim waste, interest. isn't it? It was. Ter- it was. A, it was a great printer. It was a an A3 printer. It was an inkjet. It did what it said on the tin. It was great. And it was actually using both OEM and it was using aftermarket supplies just fine. Absolutely fine. I could choose what I wanted to use in it. Great printer, great quality, great job. Photo output was absolutely superb, as you'd expect from a HP device. And then what happened? I go one day, I do this time just put in sitting in a, in a third-party cartridge, and bang, wouldn't work. Firmware upgraded, bang, locked out completely, couldn't fix it, couldn't wind it back. Frustration, frustration. Yeah, I can imagine. I, can I want imagine. to bought Epson instead. Should I say that? 
Look, you say what you like. We're not aligned with any uh, of the printer brands. The printer brands are the printer brands. And I have to say, Stephanie showed me the file of people complaining about HP lockouts and their subscription program for consumables. And it's a big file. <laughs> I can imagine. I can imagine. I think the thing that was interesting to me, and I did a little bit of, little bit of back reading on this story, was about this Euro Consumers Group. This is, um, as you rightly pointed out there, it consists of five national consumer organisations in Spain, Portugal, Brazil, Belgium, Italy. But if you take a moment just to look on their website, this is quite a strong consumer group. They have already taken out class actions against um, major social media brands, major automotive companies as well, and they have won. And in amongst all of the noise that's going on around environment, sustainability, and all the other things that they could focus on, I was almost surprised to see, you know, our our industry, you know, the the, the print industry, you know, front and centre there with this um, this action on HP. So, um, you know, it's it, it's an interesting one, and it does extend beyond, you know, the firmware issue. It has the potential, I think, to go a little bit further and just look at, at data, which is a, um, a key issue for this organisation. They do get very concerned about, you know, consumers, their data, how it's managed, how it's collected. Well, so yeah, it's I, an I, interesting I, issue. It is because we know that the data is collected and gets back to uh, HP's sort of big data bank, whatever you want to call it. But it's what they do with it. I mean, if they're taking that information and, and targeting your printer, I mean, that's who knows. Yeah, I, I think it's going to, this story is going to roll and roll because the original Italian decision was based on EU consumer law. So you just know that, I mean, there are 27 member states in the European Union. And if they all start taking uh, HP to court over this, HP are going to get bogged down for a considerable amount of time in, in every jurisdiction in Europe and over this issue. And the, the more the noise, the more it goes on, the more it rumbles, the more it will have an adverse impact on HP as a whole. You know, yeah. it, it will it will impact on their their brand strength. Yeah. Which you know, when you think they've now announced their sort of ambitious climate goals and they're rolling out their HP yes. Plus program, they're trying to push forward this positive message, but they're carrying this uh, Printergate anchor around the neck, which leads us nicely into our next topic: brands. You know, we had this. Uh piece uh, that came out about uh, the CTS Toner Supplies uh, organisation. Yeah, yeah they, they've partnered with Xerox on their uh, everyday toner rate, uh-huh. which I think is you know, quite a good strategic move. And they've also partnered with uh, the Dutch company RTC to um, supply IBM branded toner cartridges uh, in the UK. I think strong brands can sell yes unfortunately the market has tended to be price driven i think a well-placed brand you've seen it xerox every day i mean these are some new consumables and they are remanufactured consumables the xerox brand will will carry that and support it you know you've got ibm brand again strong brand values it's Mm -hmm. a product that can be as as a good proposition and can be placed in the market you've got you know there's kodak and 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 a few other brands it is an interesting one you mentioned the kodak one there was a good example because i remember from some time ago looking at this issue and we often talk about b2b markets 
business to business markets and the products that you you buy and you use and consume, whether that's um, office supplies or, or whether it's furniture or whether it's um, whether it's cartridges there. But you you tend to forget that the the people using those supplies and consuming those uh, supplies they are consumers. You know when they when they they take their work hat off and as we go into this hybrid working environment even more now they may be working from home too. They are consumers as well, so they're very brand conscious and they can be very brand loyal or disloyal or they can look at the brand values that go there and i think for for resellers you know of supplies you know this is a an interesting point of differentiation and it's a new conversation i think that um, the use of brands in this way and is powerful and uh, and it's certainly worth just bearing in mind to say that you you might be in a b2b market and you might have a very strong b2b mindset the person you know doing the using and doing the consumer consuming is a is a consumer has a b2c mindset the interesting thing i think is that you know 10 15 years ago you know there was strong brand loyalty so if you had a hp printer you'd buy hp consumable mm, mm. You know, the Audi, the Lidl effect is really, you know, coming here where, you know, there's a strong value proposition and you've got, you know, and a strong brand value in terms of Audi and Lidl. And they've won, successfully won business from the mainstream supermarkets. You come into the imaging sector and you've got the whole aftermarket chasing a price-driven market and you've got a few brands that are coming through and I think they are winning business. I remember being in uh, Dubai a couple of years ago when the IBM branded cartridge first showcased and there's this uh, big office dealer from Nigeria who was at the show and and he just he just listened to the whole pre- there were about 15 20 of us in front of the booth listening to the presentation and he he just said I can sell this. I can take this and sell it he said we sell an awful lot of hp product and other oem he said but i can sell this you know because it ticks all the boxes for his customer portfolio and that's the key it is interesting. I thought a comment that Steve Clayton, the MD of CTS Tone Supplies, made, you know, that the industry group Interbrand recently ranked IBM as the 14th most valuable brand on the planet. That was actually a bit surprising to me. I, I must have been, I remember IBM from mainframes, you know, and, and thinking to myself, well, does it still well, have that brand? Well, it, it, it does. Let's just quickly revisit the history. Lexmark printers were spun out of IBM. And look at where Lexmark are today. I mean, nine star probably the number three or four in terms of OEM size, you know, with the Lexmark and the Pantom, and now there's a, a G&G printer. So I think there is a, a brand equity there. Equally, if you look at how HP, you know, were one of the leading ones and, and they've slipped down the ranking quite a lot. Your brand value is your brand value and, you know, and that's all about being relevant. And I think that um, that's, a, a, that's a focus. I don't see that HP really grabbed with they took over Samsung which I think had a was a, a, a better brand this is somebody who in my engineering career yeah HP was God as an engineer you know one of the best jobs you could get would be as a engineer for Hewlett Packard but yeah that, that yeah. was in the days of you know test equipment and etc not printers the, you know the world changes and the values change yeah they certainly um, do they certainly but, do but I think that if you're selling consumables then a strong brand is an investment and it's a help absolutely yeah i i, I agree you know and, that, and you see that now you know you can and you can still license brands you, i think yeah, yeah, yeah. i know you know kodak's a good example of brand licensing you know i mean kodak's and 
IBM is IBM is a licensed brand, but when you when you buy that IBM cartridge, you know that IBM is standing behind it because exactly. they put the license in place, the inspection, the requirements, and everything yeah. else. So yeah. it's the values yeah. that come along with it. Exactly. Interesting, but interesting one. Interesting opportunity that. Yeah. Yeah. Very so. Yeah, hats off to. Um, yeah, I, I, I think you're going to see more of it. You're listening to the Recycler Podcast, kindly sponsored by Static Control. Next up, our friends at Hewlett Packard and sustainability. Over to you, Peter. If you caught the story on April 22nd on Earth Day, which the Biden administration called for the global climate summit of world leaders and all sorts of other interested parties there you saw a number of manufacturers across a whole range of industries and even our own industry several of our own oems including hp took the opportunity of earth day to make some announcements about what they've done so far and what they're they're planning to do in in the future there hp were among them you know with some some quite strong commitments and to you know on the positive side they've got some some strong goals here they've got some ambitious targets they're not going to be easy to achieve you know whether it's in terms of of manufacturing or packaging or use of of reclaimed materials so you kind of have to weigh all these things up you know hp is a big enterprise but um it does seem to have a lot on its plate so here's a thought i like all of those goals you know, in terms of what, what they're planning. But here's a fundamental thought. You and I both know if you take the lid off an inkjet cartridge, there's so much space in there. Yeah, you know, they're literally, let's be generous, a dozen drops of ink in that sponge, in that cartridge, and so much space. I am not a professor of mathematics. To my way of thinking, if you doubled the amount of ink in that inkjet cartridge, you would only need to make half the amount of cartridges, inkjet yeah. cartridges a year. And if you do all of those other things, then you really will be driving sustainability in, in its truest sense. At the moment, they're trying to make their business model sustainable, but their business model in itself is not sustainable. When they bring out a new printer, make sure there's maximum toner in the cartridge. About a year ago, they announced they were reducing the amount of toner in some cartridges. And I'm thinking, why? If you cut the amount of toner by 5%, then theoretically you have to produce 5% more cartridges. And it doesn't matter then if the packaging is sustainable or, or whatever, whatever, whatever. You've had to produce more cartridges than you need to because you cut the amount of toner. Again, if you put more ink in the cartridge, you reduce the amount of plastics that you need. Now, that doesn't mean yeah. that you've got to put more ink in and sell it at the same price. But it, it does mean that, you know, you, you really are driving this sustainable model. And then, you know, flip that around, you know, look at the printer. 20 years ago, a printer was a very robust device. You know, if you dropped it, you'd probably break off your toes. Whereas today, it's a, it's a plastic thing, it's lightweight, and if it falls off the, the desk, it's probably a write-off. But right. I mean, they don't last very long. Yeah, and yeah. and you know, if a washing machine or a domestic appliance, you know, lasts five to ten plus years, why can't a printer be done and supported for that? You know, we've got a washing machine that's ten years old. You can still get the spare parts for it, and the the consumable parts, the the filters that need to be changed from time to time. Why can't you do that with a printer? Because at the end of the day, it's about model enhancement uh, and the more they change the models the more they change the cartridges you know the, the, that it just isn't point. sustainable yeah can i come back to just one little point you're making there about the, the cartridges and the amount of ink you know 
one of the I'm just looking at the uh, well they announced five strategic drivers I, you know me I'm a bit of a nerd when it comes to these sort of things but no, one of them was about supply chain decarbonisation you, know, you just take that cartridge you put twice the amount of ink in it for example there then that's going to that must surely that must halve the amount of journeys that have got to be made to the store to buy another cartridge or half the the amount of loads that the truck's got to take from the factory through the supply chain and all of that that must yeah. be fundamental i would have thought i mean am, yeah. I, am, I, am I missing the point here or uh, something? the space is there so it's not like you're going to yeah. make a bigger cartridge the space is there let's assume I, I don't know the exact number hp wouldn't share it with me when i asked but it's somewhere around say 400 million inkjet cartridges a year maybe more who knows so you double the amount of ink. That means you have the amount of cartridges. That means that, you know, you need less pallets, less containers, less container shipping. You're right. And, and that is a significant. Then if the, you know, if the amount of reused plastic is good and et cetera, and the packaging and the focus on decarbonization and everything, then that really is a significant driver of change unless and until you address the fundamental issue of that consumable you flip that around again they've announced you know the the reuse of inkjet cartridges in their um, subscription program yes they have which is an interesting move isn't it well i think that's brilliant that after all these years and for the second time hp uh, are acknowledging consumable reuse because I've been around long enough to remember when HP produced a lot of remanufactured SX cartridges, but decided not to sell them. I don't remember that, David. I'm I'm, I'm not as old as you. (laughs) And dare I say it wisely, decided not to sell them. But so I like that. But then I had a thought that all these cartridges going back, where are they going to go back to? What's going to happen to them? Who's going to refill them? Where are they going to be refilled? Because in essence, having a reused cartridge is brilliant, but without the um, without the, the closed loop that goes behind it, you could get cartridges going everywhere in the post, and you know, and what you save in manufacturing is lost because you don't have this closed loop. And that's something that really HP hasn't put out yet in in their ambitious climate action goals. Yeah, and, you, and it's, it's interesting you mentioned that. I mean, first of all, just to come back, you know, talking about this, you know, you, you, just one other one other reference point here is the way that ink tank, inkjet printers have, have absolutely taken off, you know, over the past 12 months, you know, how we're, there's so many more people buying printers of ink tanks and, and just filling yeah. up on the machine there now. You know, you, you wonder almost about the life of the cartridge as you go forward, which is another topic completely. To, I, I mean, again, uh, continuous ink, systems i mean they they do work they are available and i i don't know why the oems aren't getting onto it nobody's saying it's going to be cheap but it's going to be good and it's going to be effective and a and a, and a good solution but 10 out of 10 to hp for the announcement but yep. you know the jury's out about how you're going to deliver it and when are you going to address uh, the ink in the cartridge issue well, you know, I think it comes back to the point that why waste a good pandemic, you know, and we are seeing change, you know, and this yeah. is the evidence that's that's, that's starting yeah. to come through here and the market is moving, the market is, is changing and who'd have thought, you know, 12 months ago we'd be sitting here having this type of a discussion, you know, and I don't know exactly what the status is, but even, you know, we know that the um, European Voluntary Agreement first draft of that should have gone to the commission you know during april as well we, we don't know what the outputs are on that yet so you know well, and that's that's got, it, is, you know, it is with the commission 
but it's not in the public domain yet. So yeah. I'm assuming there are behind the scenes people looking at the VA in detail in, in Brussels, you know, you know, the competition side, the legal side, etc. So we're, we're at the gate. I think that's the point here. We're at the gate. You know, there yeah. is a document, you know, it's yeah. a, a draft, be it what it is there, you know, and it's another step, isn't it? Well, it step. is, except that from where I sit, I think the the VA could be positive, but it, it only works to the um to the people that sign up to to the oems and the supporting signatories yes so it it doesn't it's not something that applies to the whole industry and if we're all really gonna yeah embracing sustainability whatever it is has to apply to the whole industry it it can't be that company a company b and company c say right we're going to do this and and everybody says well fine but we're going to carry on doing what we're doing and that to me is the um gap so We'll see. Uh, hopefully, yeah. the next time we uh, record a podcast, you know, we'll, we can maybe we'll, get a bit, yeah, get a bit deeper into it. Yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll know what we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Good. I hate to do this, David. Yeah. But um, is it time to talk tax? Ah, yes. Yeah, closing the VAT loophole. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, at the moment, if you're based in the Europe. Whatever supplies you make, you have to charge VAT on it. You know, it's simple. If you're a business buying something, you can offset the VAT. If you're a consumer, you have to pay the VAT. Simple, straightforward. Now, here's the rub. I'm outside of the European Union. I make something that's less than 15, 20 euros, like an inkjet cartridge, a refilled inkjet cartridge or a compatible inkjet cartridge. I can sell it into the European Union and I don't have to pay any VAT because there's a a VAT threshold. The European Union says that's worth about 7 billion euros a year. So they're closing that loophole. So from the 1st of July, anything sold in has got to have the VAT on. So if it's done via marketplace, Amazon, eBay, whatever, the VAT has to be accounted for so what that means is if you're based outside of the european union you have to register in at least one country and you can then declare all of your sales and the vat will be paid to the the various countries yes um, you've, you've got to set up that structure and you've got to yeah. um to, to be there to put that yeah. product onto the uh, yeah. market, haven't you? And and you can do you can do that in any country. So, for instance, you know, if you're a native English speaker, you could do that in Ireland or Malta. You know, if you're you know French speaker, you could do it in France. If whatever, yeah. You know, so you, you can do it in any particular country, but you have to do that registration and, and pay your taxes. Now, Absolutely. here again is. The rep. When the VAT is added to the price of that consumable, it would take away the competitive advantage because a, a locally produced refilled one will already be vatable. And so, you know, the, there's more of a parity. If the imported cartridge is 20% cheaper, you add the 20% VAT and suddenly the pricing will start to favour EU-based companies rather than non-EU-based companies. And, and maybe that's not a bad thing. It is a loophole. I, why should somebody who's not who's based outside of the European Union be able to sell into the European Union and not pay the VAT. No, you, you, you're absolutely right. So interesting, interesting story, that one. It's, uh, yeah. say it's big money, big money for the EU, uh, 7 yeah. billion euros. You know, that's a, that's a big chunk of, um, of budget there. That um, It is. That'll buy a sandwich or two. <laughs> certainly would, certainly would. Well, um, is it time for a little bit of an end finally, David? 
I think yeah. we are, yes. Yeah. So yeah. Oh, just, what have you got for us this week, Peter? Not very much, actually. I just really wanted this time just to comment a little bit. I've done a bit too much soapboxing today, really. It's just to, to say I've been looking a lot at um, sustainability. As you know, I've been doing a lot of research into sustainability in our industry um, and the circular economy in our industry. And I've been studying with considerable depth now the sustainability statements of our industry OEMs. And um, you'll be seeing those articles appearing in the recycler over the uh, coming months. I just want to say that I've been shocked in some instances at the level of, I'm going to use the phrase greenwashing here, not one I use lightly, but there is some evidence of it in our industry. And I think we need to be mindful of it as we go forward, as we get more under the microscope and these green issues come through there. What I'm finding is an awful lot of information about manufacturing and but still some some smoke and mirrors when it comes to um, reuse and uh, and recycling. So I guess all I really want to say on my end finally was that um, going to be more to read and more to come and uh, look out for those pieces in the in the recycler. Not everything that's green is green. <laughs> no, it's certainly an uneven mix of uh, magenta and cyan. That's for sure. <laughs> Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. Well, Peter, you're not going to believe it, but that's uh, another 40-odd minutes gone. How do we do this, David? How do yeah. we do it? Look at last time. I mean, you know, when we had Zoltan with us, you know, we ended up talking for nearly two hours. So. That, that was great, actually, to have a yeah. have a guest on board. You didn't, you yeah. know, our, our dear listener didn't have to um, listen to you and I going on all the time. But maybe if you want to, if you're sitting there and you think, you know, I could contribute to this conversation, I've got something to say, do drop David or Stephanie the line you know we'd love to um, hear what you're going to say you know if you if you've got a something new something exciting or just got a point of view news at the recycler.com will reach stephanie and uh, myself and we can uh, get that sorted so um friday draws to a close you enjoy your holiday next week peter and we'll catch up again very very soon this has been the recycler podcast with david connett peter mayhew and kindly sponsored by static control thank you for listening